Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Whether you are in the room live, watching online, or later on demand, or even listening to our podcast, it's a great day to celebrate Jesus together. If you are visiting Dayspring today, we want you to know that this is the kind of church where you get to be you. There's no need to pretend that everything's perfect in your life. It's certainly not an hour's. We are regular people on a journey, allowing Jesus to make something beautiful out of our broken and often messy lives, one little step at a time, learning to live like Jesus. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. That team is made up of people committed to helping you grow. We love to challenge, encourage, and equip people to become more like Jesus. So if you're on that journey too, we're looking forward to lending a hand. Even if you aren't sure that you're ready to be on that journey with us. Maybe you're skeptical about the claims of Jesus or skeptical of his followers. Well, this is still a great place, a safe place to explore and ask questions as you look for answers. We're asking questions and looking for answers too. So I think we can be pretty good company on your journey. So welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church by checking out our Facebook page or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, let's join our service. We're brought here today by the love that Sarah and Davis have for each other. I can't believe I get to marry him. We're perfectly compatible in every way. Yeah, she just gets me, man. Someone to talk to all night long. Someone to talk to all night long. Early morning jogs. Sleeping in late. We'll spend the holidays with my parents. We'll spend the holidays with my parents. We'll have one well-behaved daughter. We'll have four or five little dudes running around. He'll help me pay off my debt. I should probably tell her about all my debt. Is that important? We'll share a bank account. Obviously, we're gonna share a Facebook account. <laughs> do I need a friend my in-laws? Someone to do my laundry. Someone to do my laundry. Double income. Stay at home dad. Meal planning, of course. Take out. The city. The burbs. Mission trip. Ski trip. Blue. Red. Cat. Dog. Fries. Rings. Potato. Potato. Minivan. Motorcycle. Two words. Finished basement. Two words. Man cave. Oh, he's so smart. Do you think that birds wish that they had hands? We're going to be so happy. We'll be so happy. I'm going to crush it at being a husband. Do you remember those days? You were young and in love, ready to spend the rest of your life with the love of your life, knowing that your love was different from all of the other loves in the world. Your marriage would set the bar for all marriages to follow because you were going to be so happy. Your marriage was going to be different. Different from your parents' marriage, your grandparents, your friends. Your love is the kind that inspires Hollywood movies. He completes you. She completes you. You had me at hello. 
I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. You want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. As you wish. Bonus points if you can name all of those movies. But then something happened. You woke up the next day and you found out that marriage is hard. And sometimes you wonder if you're going to make it at all. Welcome to what happy couples know. Marriage is what brings us together today. And the ladies are doing their best not to elbow their husbands to make sure that they're paying attention. You've been waiting a long time for a relationship series. And the men are like, oh, look at the bird. (laughs) Putting on their game face on the outside and going to their happy place on the inside. And seriously reconsidering whether they like me at all. Women, let me give you the inside scoop about men. I'm going to generalize for just a moment and play play on a stereotype to illustrate how men think of relationships. Men think of relationships the way most of you, not all of you, of course, but the way most of you think about a car. You don't want to work on it. You just want it to work. As long as it starts when you put the key in it, things are good. When you say, let's talk about our relationship, or I'm so glad we're having this relationship series at church, here's what we hear. We hear, there is something wrong with us, and you know how to fix it. You know how to fix us. And and the same is true in the other direction. When, When you look out the window or you drive up after work and you see the hood up on a car and and you that you know is just working just fine, and you ask us what we're doing, we're checking the oil level, the power steering fluid, the brake fluid, we're tuning, fine tuning. We're trying to get the best out of the old girl. And women, you're thinking, as long as it isn't broken down on the side of the road, do you really need to check it? That's how we feel about relationships. If the relationship isn't broken down on the side of the road, do we really need to talk about it? Of course, the answer is yes. So for these next four weeks, we're going to be talking about relationships And clearly, our primary focus is marriage. So if you are single, hoping to move into a relationship or engaged and getting ready for your wedding celebration or newly married or you've been married for a while, then connecting the dots and applying the principles to the relationship you have with your husband or wife or fiancé is going to be easy for you. But if you aren't married by choice or by design, here's the thing you are still in relationships with other people. And to a certain degree, the principles we're going to discuss apply to all relationships. And you have friends who are married, who at some point are going to hit a speed bump in their marriage, and those friends are going to call you up to cry over that speed bump. And when that happens, you want to have the language to give good, godly wisdom. So if you aren't married and might have to work a little bit harder to connect the dots to your situation, I want to encourage you to press in. The good thing about relationship principles is that they are generally universal to all relationships, at least to some extent. Now today, I'm going to set the stage for the rest of the series. I'm going to introduce the tension that that we're going to process for the next few weeks. Since it is the introduction, 
uh, there's not going to be a lot of Bible study going on today. Uh, if this is your first time with us, yes, we definitely talk about and study the Bible here at Dayspring. And next week, we'll dive into one of the most fantastic relationship statements found anywhere in literature. It's found in the New Testament part of the Bible. So come back next week to check it out. But today, we're going to explore the tension in relationships. And with the help of the Irresistible Church Network, who gave us the framework for this series, I want to give credit where credit is due. We're going to put some handles on some things you've probably tried to talk about in the past, but without common language, it most likely didn't go very well. There's a reason they say that men are from Mars and women are from Venus. We are wired differently. We think differently. We communicate differently. But common language around this tension will help us bridge the gaps in our communication. Now, when it comes to relationships, all relationships really, uh, when it comes to relationships, uh, we, have, we all have a bucket, an invisible bucket of hopes, dreams, and desires. And when you are single and not dating anyone, the hopes, dreams, and desires found in this bucket are pretty undefined. But the more you move toward relationship with someone, the closer you get, the more and more these hopes, dreams, and desires take shape. Think about it. We, we all have some hopes. All of us have some dreams. All of us have some wishes as it relates to the person we plan to spend the rest of our life with. Now, if you are engaged, hopefully, you've already talked about the hopes, dreams, and desires you have with your honey bunny. If you are married, you should definitely already know what's in your spouse's bucket. Some of you do, some of you don't. But either way, all of us have hopes, dreams, and desires. And when we, when we think about our future, we all have hopes, dreams, and desires about this stuff. Like our money. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of money. Or we really don't need much at all. Love is all we need. We can live under a bridge as long as we have love. Or, oh yeah, we're going to have a double income so we can save, save, save. Or spend, spend, spend. Or we're only going to have one income because I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad. We're going to have a budget. Or we're not going to have a budget. A budget sounds like an allowance and no one's going to tell me how to spend my money. You have all of these ideas, these hopes, dreams, and desires as it relates to your financial future. When Dee Dee and I got married, neither of our hopes, dreams, and desires matched reality. Our parents never really talked about money with us because on both sides, our parents weren't on the same page. So they didn't give us any tools to help us be on the same page, something we struggle with even today sometimes. You also have some hopes, dreams, and desires about how the chores are going to be done. You think about the way it was done in your family of origin, or you think about the way they should be done, or, or the dream of how you think it will be done. Maybe the little house cleaning elves will just take care of everything while you're asleep. You also have hopes, dreams, and desires about where you're going to live, whether you will rent, lease, or own, how big your house will be, how your yard will be, your, the neighborhood that you'll live in. You have hopes, dreams, and nightmares about how close to your family or her family you'll live, like how much in your business your in-laws will be. You have hopes, dreams, and desires 
about what kind of car you'll drive. The mom mobile is perfect for her, but you get to keep your sports car. Or maybe he'll see how much sense it makes for him to get something sensible, practical. You have hopes, dreams, and desires about how many, about kids, how many kids you'll have, what you'll name them, and how you'll fit the letter Y into the spelling of each name. Uh, if you are an only child, you might be thinking you want some children. If you came from a family with children, you might be thinking that one is enough. On the night that Didi and I got engaged, uh, we discovered that we both wanted to have four children. And for our first boy, we easily settled on Joshua Christopher for the, for the name. If only everything in marriage were that easy. Of course, we only have two children, but that's another story for another time. The point is we came to the relationship with hopes, dreams, and desires about kids. You also have some ideas of how scheduling is going to work in the relationship. Uh, how many hours you'll work and your spouse will work and how you will spend your discretionary time, your free time. I'll get to spend time with my friends. Or he'll love spending time with my friends. Or we'll spend every free moment together completing each other. And then, what about holidays? We'll spend Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter with my family. Her family can have ground dog, Groundhog Day, Halloween, and Festivus because it's for the rest of us. That was for you, Scott. And then there's, and then there's travel. We're going to live the dream all around the world. I'll have lots of stamps in my passport. Nah, we'll just keep it within driving distance or just in the U.S. There's plenty to see here. Hotels and resorts or tents and camping. <laughs> and then there's this. Every guy has some idea of what he hopes, dreams, and desires his wife will wear to bed. And she's thinking... He just wants me to be comfortable. He doesn't care. He accepts me just the way I am. And all of that stuff won't matter. And what about conflict resolution? Everyone at some point is going to have to resolve conflict in marriage or in a relationship. Early on, there's conflict in just about every relationship as you learn to live together. And so the hope, dream, and desire is that we'll just talk it out. Get everything on the table so we can work, it, work through things. No, you just raise your voice. That's how conflict was resolved in my family. The loudest yell wins. Or no, no one will ever raise their voice. It will always be calm, cool, and collected. That's how we'll resolve conflict. And then some guys are thinking conflict resolution. Isn't that what sex is for? What about your hopes, dreams, and desires about how you're going to treat each other? How are you going to behave toward him? How she's going to behave toward you? What kind of language is going to be acceptable as you talk to and about each other? She's never going to be demeaning. He's never going to be threatening. You may have never defined it or thought it through, but mo most people don't. But you definitely have expectations about how you will be treated in one of the most significant relationships in your life. Now, these are just some examples of the hopes, dreams, and desires you carry around in your bucket. You have more, lots more, 
now that I've got you thinking, you've probably come up with one or two that I haven't said. Things that are true for you but might not be true for everybody. Whatever else you might have, the bottom line is that we all have a bucket and several things impact what we put in our hopes, dreams, and desires bucket. One of the things that impacts what we put in our bucket are the things we've seen and heard. What you've seen modeled. Uh, we've, what you've seen in other relationships. What you've read. What you've seen in culture. But probably the biggest thing that impacts what goes in our hopes, dreams, and desires bucket is what we've experienced. For most of us, uh, that, what we've experienced in our home growing up. Which is what makes this such a big deal. It's complicated. It's emotional. Most of our hopes, dreams, and desires are a response to what we grew up in and around. We, either, uh, we end up either trying to avoid something or we're trying to recreate something. My relationship's not going to be like that. I'm not going to act like my dad. I'm not going to be like my mom. We're, we're not going to have that kind of relationship or marriage. So we end up putting things in our bucket to help us avoid becoming like that. Or maybe, maybe the situation is exactly what we want. It's something we want to have. It might be your parents' great relationship that you want to repeat for yourself. Or maybe your brother and sister-in-law or the neighbors across the street or someone else like that. They just, they just seem to have the perfect relationship. So your hopes, dreams, and desires are to replicate what they had or have. I don't want to avoid something. I want to repeat something. But even if we're trying to repeat something that is fantastic, trying to repeat something that is ideal, something healthy, something worth repeating, even then, in the middle of all of that, is me. Because these are my hopes, dreams, and desires. And at some point in the relationship, we don't even really know this is happening, but at some point in the relationship, while you are dating or maybe engaged, maybe at some point after you're married, maybe a year, at some point, we can't really help ourselves. We essentially take our bucket of hopes, dreams, and desires, and we say, here, you make them come true. This is what I've always dreamed it would be like, hoped it would be like. This is the reason I said yes and walked down the aisle with you. Because in my mind, I pictured making this future with and, with and for you. You making it for me. Making my hopes, dreams, and desires come true. Which brings us to the problem. The tension, if you will. When we hand our bucket of hopes, dreams, and desires uh, off, it doesn't feel like hope, hopes, dreams, and desires to them, does it? To them, it feels like expectations. To them, it feels like weight, like the bar has been raised. To them, it feels like responsibility. And if they don't come through for you, you might be disappointed in them. Expectations are simply this. Strong beliefs that something will happen or be the case in the future. It doesn't have to be today or even tomorrow, not even next month, but we're working toward that. It's not our dream home, but we're working toward that. He hasn't stopped doing this, but he will. She hasn't changed her mind about that, but she will. We haven't gotten there yet, but we will. 
An expectation is the strong belief that something will happen in the future. But here's the problem. Attempting to recreate or avoid something from the past transforms hopes, dreams, and desires into expectations. Even in the best relationships, the most ideal relationships, even then, eventually, the eyes collide. It's not you and I collide, it's my it's eyes collide. My eye swapped buckets with your eye. I gave you mine, you gave me yours. My hopes and dreams and desires became your burden of expectations and your hopes, dreams and desires became my burden of expectations. And at some point, our eyes eventually collide because no one has the exact same hopes, dreams and desires as anybody else. When eyes collide, we do one of five things. We're going to talk about the first four today. When eyes collide, we respond in one of five ways. The most extreme of which is to just leave. We exit stage left. We say, you know what? That's not what I had in mind when I said I do. That's not what I bargained for. You didn't tell me ahead of time. You weren't clear. I, I didn't sign up for this. I can't meet your expectations. I won't meet your expectations. I'll never live up to what you want me to live up to. I'll never be the person you want me to be. I can't live with the pressure. So I'm out of here. And when you leave, do you know what you do? You take back your bucket of hopes, dreams, and desires, and you carry them to, into your next relationship. So that's the first option. When eyes collide, you leave. The second thing we do if we don't leave is to win. In every relationship, there's generally a stronger personality. Not always, of course, but generally that's the case. So often in these situations, one person powers up so they win. They leverage what Andy Stanley calls the four C's of, uh, to an unsatisfying and dysfunctional relationship. They convince, convict, control, and coerce. Convince, convict, control, and coerce. If you want the prescription to a terrible relationship, that's it right there. Convince, convict, control, and coerce. We say, listen, I know this is how you thought it would be, but you're wrong. I know this isn't how you thought we would resolve conflict, but this is how it's going to be. I know you always wanted it to look like this, but you have the wrong bucket. Mine is the good bucket. My bucket is how the world works. This way is the only logical way, the right way. Just trust me and live the life I want you to live and become like me. And then you'll be happy. Because aren't people always happier when they try to become someone else? I mean, don't we always become happier when we throw away and abandon who we are, who God created us to be in order to conform to the image of our partner? Yeah, that's the recipe for happiness. <laughs> If you'll just abandon everything in your bucket and embrace mine, it will all work out great. And you convince, convict, because you finally make them feel guilty. I don't want to be critical, but your way is just stupid. You control and coerce. And at the end of the day, the winner is happy. Life is great. They're living the dream. But they can't quite figure out what's wrong with him or her just pray for them because I'm happy now. 
that we're both working out of my bucket. And eventually, they do conform to the image of your bucket, which is, of course, the correct bucket, the right way to do things. The third response is the flip side to that one. Only in this case, you aren't the winner. You are the conformer. You become somebody you're not to compensate for someone who won't accept you the way you are. We abandon who we are in order to conform to whatever makes the other person happy, regardless of whether that works for us or not. And conforming generally works for a while. It really works for the person who won, but it works for the person who conforms as well because it decreases the tension in the relationship. We call that being codependent, but that's for a different message. As, as long as he's happy, I'll deal with it. I know it's not really my dream, not what I'd wish for, but as long as she's happy, I'll deal with it. It's a short-term fix for a long-term problem. Because eventually, when somebody in a relationship gives up who they are to become somebody that they are not, eventually they lose respect for their partner. And their partner loses respect for them. So when eyes collide, we either leave, win, capitulate, or our fourth option, which is the most common response, we compromise. I think for many people, this is the goal compromise. This is the win. This is how you stay married. You just compromise. In a compromise marriage, I'm going to do my part and you do your part. And I'm going to make sure you do your part because I know you're watching and making sure I'm doing mine. In a compromise marriage, there's scorekeeping. It's a bit like a contract. This is the year we spent with your family. Now next year we'll be with mine. I took the garbage out, so you'd better do the laundry. In a compromised relationship, whether you are dating, engaged, or married, there is low trust, which also means low intimacy, because intimacy requires trust. You can't actually be intimate with someone that you can't or won't fully give yourself to, and you won't fully give yourself to someone you don't trust. It is certainly possible to go the distance in a compromised relationship. You can make it work. You can spend your life together. But there is a better way. Now, and another thing about the compromise is this. At the end of the day, it's a commitment to the wrong thing. Now, this is a really subtle nuance, but hear me out. A compromised marriage is fueled by a commitment to the relationship, to the marriage. And I think that's the wrong thing to be committed to. You've, you've heard people say this before, I'm committed to my marriage. I'm committed to my marriage, which sounds good on paper. But nobody marries a marriage. Nobody, nobody marries a marriage just like nobody dates a relationship. Nobody is engaged to a relationship. I don't want Dee Dee to be committed to our marriage. I want her to be committed to me. I want to be committed to her. I don't ever want our relationship to devolve to the level of just being committed to our marriage. People who are committed to their marriage could be married to anyone. Just fill in the blank. I want to go beyond being committed to my marriage. Because 
think about it this way. Being committed to my marriage or saying I'm committed to my marriage or I want my marriage to work or relate my relationship to work. Once again, who is in the middle of all of that? I am. It's about me, my future, my reputation, and my, my kids growing up with two parents in the home. It's all about me. And I, I guess if that's all the farther you ever got, it wouldn't be a bad thing. I mean, being for marriage is certainly better than being against marriage. And wanting your marriage to be a good marriage is better than not wanting your marriage to be a good marriage. But there is something better, something more, something beyond that. Because there is, there is a living, breathing somebody else in the equation besides you. At the end of the day, this can work, but it's not all that much fun. And it's not very fulfilling. So to summarize, when eyes collide, we leave, we try to win, we conform, or we compromise. But there is a fifth option. And this fifth option is what happy couples know. And we're going to spend all of next week talking about it. Don't you hate teasers like that? Tune in next week. I promise it's a powerful option that you're going to want to move toward. But until then, let me just point you in the direction we are headed over the next few weeks. I guess that nothing I've said to this point is earth shattering or even new to you. Even if I've put some handles on some things you haven't had the language for before. Here's the deal. Expectations in any relationship. Expectations create a debt-debtor relationship. In other words, in this context, whenever I put my hopes, dreams, and desires on you and expect you to do something for them, in that moment, I've embraced the assumption that you owe me. This is what you owe me. And I am handing you my hopes, dreams, and desires. And now you are obligated to fulfill those hopes, dreams, and desires. You are in debt to me. You owe me attention. You owe me to make sure that I am happy with how we manage our calendar, how we manage money, how we travel. You owe me affection. You owe me to provide for me in the manner required to fulfill my hopes, dreams, and desires. You owe me to make sure the house is clean, that dinner is on the table when I walk in the door. You owe me to stay, stay fit and in shape. You owe me kids. You owe me a break from the kids. You owe me and I owe you. And even though both of us are in debt to each other, it creates a debt-debtor relationship, which is not the kind of relationship that God had in mind when he put the first man and woman together. You're supposed to do this because that's what a man does. That's what my father did. That's what a woman is supposed to do. That's what my mother did. Husbands are supposed to. Wives are supposed to. This is what you are supposed to do. Tell me, how much gratitude do you express to people who pay you what they owe you? How much gratitude do you give people who do what they are supposed to do? Provide the service that they are supposed to provide. How much gratitude do you give people who meet the minimum required expectation? I'll tell you how much. Minimal. We rarely express gratitude for what we've come to expect. 
And when you get into a relationship that lasts for years and years and you fall into a routine, and every relationship has a routine. There are roles in every relationship. Not that men are supposed to do this and women are supposed to do, to do that kind, kinds of roles. But every relationship falls into a routine. And certain responsibilities are fulfilled by each person in the relationship. Whenever Didi and I go somewhere together, I drive. Almost always. That's our routine. When it comes to Costco, that's Didi. That's just the way it works. We all have routines and that's not a bad thing. But when you or I come to expect that someone will always do what they've always done, the gratitude is going to be minimal. I'm not going to thank you when you do it, but I'm going to ask you when you don't. But you'll never hear me be surprised about you doing it. Whatever it is, however it happens. Most of the time we become so accustomed to the way things happen in our routine that we stop expressing gratitude. Didi doesn't thank me for driving. I don't thank her for going to Costco, even though I am incredibly thankful that I didn't have to go. Sorry, George. But gratitude says this. I didn't expect that, and I'm grateful for it. This is how you, you really fuel healthy relationships because gratitude says that I haven't filled up my bucket with a bunch of expectations. You see, while routines are generally good, it's really easy for what is routine to become an expectation, which means that you're really just adding more weight to your bucket that you expect them to carry. They owe you that. And that leads to the other thing that comes with a debt-debtor relationship. In a debt-debtor relationship, at some point you wake up wondering how we got here. Why isn't it the way it used to be? Well, a debt-debtor relationship eliminates the possibility of unconditional love as a personal motivation. If I owe you, then when I deliver, I'm just bringing the relationship back into balance. I'm bringing everything back to zero which isn't love. It's just a repayment plan. Owe me eliminates love me. If I owe you flowers on Valentine's Day, if I give them to you because I owe them to you, then where does love fit in the equation? If I pay what I owe, PGE, where does love come into the equation? It doesn't. The minute you do something because you owe somebody something, you take love out of the equation. Love doesn't do very well in an environment of expectation. In fact, in an environment of expectation, it's next to impossible to recognize love. And that's because expectations remove the margin necessary to love. For love to be recognized and appreciated. Why? Because it's what I expected, what I'm accustomed to, what she always does, he always does. It's a supposed to thing. And since they are just meeting expectations, you've eliminated the potential for love to be recognized or expressed. This is why a bucket of expectations undermines intimacy in a relationship. Because this feels like pressure every single day. And that's no way to live. But the good news is, you don't have to live that way. Because happy couples, and I know happy couples, happy couples have something that I'm going to tell you about next week. But here's the, here's the question we need to wrestle with this week. 
if we put all of this stuff back where it belongs, we put it all back in our bucket of hopes, dreams, and desires, not near as neatly as we took it out, we put all of this back in, what are we supposed to do with our bucket? Pretend? Pretend that we never wanted 2.5 kids in a house with a white picket fence? Pretend that we, we don't care how we spend our time or where we live? Pretend we don't have any vision for any, our life at all? Pretend that we don't need money or don't want to travel or whatever? Do we ignore them? Deny them? You know, most of us have spent most of our life filling up our buckets with some really good things. They're, they're all probably all good things in and of themselves. Some of those good things actually come from the fact that you bear the image of God. But what do you do with all of this? Feel guilty? The short answer is that you keep them right here where they belong. In your bucket. Which leads to the next question. How do you do that? How do you keep all of that good stuff here and not hand it to the person that you are spending the rest of your life with? How do I keep all of these things in my bucket? And the answer to that is going to bother you. Because you know the answer. You just don't like the answer. But this is something happy people know. And it isn't intuitive. The best way to keep your stuff in your bucket is to ask this question. What do they owe you? What do they owe you? Happy couples know the answer to this question is nothing. Happy couples know that they owe each other everything but are not owed anything in return, which doesn't make any earthly sense. Happy couples know that they owe each other everything, but are not owed anything in return, which makes them both happy. It frees them both from the bondage of expectations. It releases the tension, the pressure. Now, Christians, and I think many happy couples leverage a very Christian principle, but happy couples take all their cues from Jesus' all-encompassing command. Just before Jesus ended his earthly ministry, he got his disciples together and he said, listen guys, when we first started this journey together, there were more than 600 commands that we were trying to live by. And a while ago, I narrowed it down to two. But right now, before I go, I'm going to make this really simple. Do the math. I'm going to divide it in half and leave you with one. This one command fulfills all of the other ones. And here's what he said. If you've been at Dayspring for very long, you already know this. We talk about this a lot. So let's read it together from John chapter 13. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. It used to be, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But this is better. Love each other as I have loved you. This was groundbreaking at the time. 
we kind of take it for granted even, even though we don't live it out very well most of the time. But for the disciples, for the early church, this was revolutionary. So revolutionary, in fact, that the Apostle Paul unpacks what that kind of love looks like practically in this situation or that situation, in all kinds of relationships. And one of the relationships he applies it to is the relationship between a man and a woman in marriage. That's what we're going to look at next week. But there's also another statement that he made that, that he unpacked this one command that Jesus left us. Here's what he says in Ephesians chapter 5. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his still children. Live a life filled with love. The New International Version says to walk in the way of love. No, don't walk like an Egyptian. Walk in the way of love, following the example of Christ. In every situation, in every relationship, with everybody, walk in the way of love, just like Jesus. Christian men and Christian women, happy couples, happy Christian couples drop this principle into the middle of their relationship. And when they do, marriage begins to look like a mutual submission competition, a race to the back of the line, which sounds miserable, which is why so few people even try it. But those who do, enjoy it. And those who pull it off, well, we call them happy couples. That's where we'll pick it up next week. But here's, here's what I want you to do this week. Two things. First, I want to encourage you to not talk about this message with your wife or your husband or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your fiancé. Don't talk about the sermon today which is a relief to all of the men. They were already trying to figure out how to get home the fastest way possible. The women, the women were thinking, too bad Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. They always have a nice long line. Maybe in and out. Instead of that, here's the second thing I want you to do. I want you to process these two questions on your own. First, what's in your bucket? Sometimes we accidentally end up putting pressure on our significant other because we don't even know what's in our bucket. If it isn't clear up here, then it's definitely foggy out there. So what's in your bucket? You should know. Maybe even write it down for future reference. And the second question, are you expecting anyone to carry your bucket around for you? Are you expecting someone else to bear the burden of your expectations? Expectations they weren't designed to carry or live with. So what's in your bucket? And have you handed it off to somebody to carry? Let's pray. Father, our, our deepest prayer in these moments is that you would unleash the Holy Spirit in marriages today. In, in, in not just today, in, in these moments, that you would unleash the Holy Spirit. That you would um, already be bringing healing and understanding. Father, our prayer is that um, good marriages would be gooder on the other side of this journey. Great marriages would be greater and that weak marriages would grow in the grace of Jesus Christ.
And that would bring couples together. So teach us how to live in such a way that we carry our own bucket of hopes, dreams, and desires without passing it off to someone else. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions on your own or with others will help the truth of God's Word begin to shape your life as you grow to be like Jesus. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. This ministry is made possible because of the faithful giving of people who call Dayspring their home church. God's work in their lives has left them changed, has made them more like Jesus, and they've come to understand how God uses their generosity to encourage others to become like Jesus as well. So if you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. We count it a privilege and to play a small part in God's perfect work in you today. For those of you who would like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. And one more thing, thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you connect with us. Thank you for rating us where that is appropriate. Even more, thank you for sharing our services with your friends and family. If this service was a blessing to you, it'll probably be a blessing to someone else too. God uses you to plant seeds in other people's lives, so keep sowing. Until we meet again, I am praying that God's richest blessings would overflow in and through your life.